Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Welcome back. One more episode. Indeed. You just took that sip of water, and I feel like that was a, a ritual for something big that's about to happen. It is. It is. It's a, it's a cool episode today. Cool couple of episodes we're going to have. I Indeed. Um, so long story short, we're going to talk about what is philosophy. Yes. But the funny thing about this, which we probably said before, is like we actually did this before. We did. We recorded an entire Two episodes yes. per day on this topic, what is philosophy, mm-hmm. was our first recording. The very first recording, and it happened before the consciousness one. So you're going and looking like, wait a minute, the first one is the consciousness one. Yes. And that is because we just tossed that. <laughs> yeah, it's the only time we ever didn't have the thing, let's yeah. say. Yeah, and it was the only time that we have tossed anything, really. Because we haven't even edited anything. No, yeah, yeah, we haven't. This is like very raw. And the reason for that is because afterwards, we, but I feel like you were the one that pointed out, you were like, I don't know. I don't know if that's doing that. There's like that topic is the topic of all topics. Yep. And you're not sure that did it justice. Yes. And it was like, we were a little bit stiff, maybe Mm. a little bit. We were in. It was the first one, right? It was the first one, right. (laughs) We didn't have, like, so in a sense, it made sense to do it first because it's like, oh, let's do this before we get into it. But in another way, it's like, mm, we had no practice. Not like we practiced this, but we didn't know how how it would happen. Yeah, we didn't even know how the interaction was going to be, right? Yes. And it's also, in my mind, a difficult topic. <laughs> it's yeah. not an easy one, right? And yeah. trying to explain and, you know, it would set an expectation for what we were going to do throughout the, the series that it was scary because now if you're doing something different, yep. all of a sudden, like, hey, what you said, the philosophy is this. Yeah, yeah. Now, in this case, now we have established that we do meta stuff by now. If you're listening to True. us up to now, now we're doing philosophy of philosophy. Yes. So, which sounds weird, right? It sounds weird, and so we're prepared. And I feel like after the 50th, like the Q&A, we're like, oh, for the 100th, we'll do what is philosophy behind <laughs> the scenes, but now seems better. No, no it seems better, and it, I also think that um, we got, at least I think that was my motivation, we decided to do that because mm-hmm. in the last episode when we were talking about Wittgenstein, we kind of, hinted of his idea of what philosophy was, right? That's true. Just this thing of showing the fly the way out of the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this idea that philosophy is just clarifying some, um, how can we call them, uh, verbal yes. uh, disputes, right? Yes. Verbal misunderstanding, I should say, not disputes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and if that's the case, um, I, and I was thinking like some people will agree with that, some people will not, but I think that that's a good starting point for us, meaning that was the idea. 
that led us to, to it, stop it talking about naturally. Yeah, yeah, I think that that would be a good a good thing. Yeah, and I feel like, uh, you know, incidentally, mm-hmm. this winds up being apt for me because the other day I had this incident in class. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh. That Hopefully I feel nothing like bad. <laughs> well, it's not good, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it's relevant. So, I always say that when you're trying to understand something, it's good to at first draw a contrast from what it is not, yeah, right? Or like to compare it to the expectations. And I feel like the anecdote I'm going to get into sure. uh, is an example of that. So like, I'm gonna explain what happened um, as a way of ultimately getting to this question, right? Okay. Go ahead. So in one of my classes somewhere, um, <laughs> I had, we were doing, what was it? I think we were doing Skinner. Mm. So we had just finished, uh, finished Hume, his critique of the idea of the self. And then I kind of fast forward to Skinner and look at a contemporary, yep. you know, continuation of that through, through different means. And after we finished, they're always getting frustrated because we, we do a new topic and they all are logical, right? Like they all yeah. make a case for <laughs> something, course. right? And at the end of class, a student asked, um, and I, I don't mean to single this student out, but this is like the general sentiment mm-hmm. of how things go, right? This is how it came out. The student said, so is philosophy just anyone can say whatever because <laughs> they all <laughs> just have different beliefs and they're all logical, and so there is no right answer. And I got upset, <laughs> understandably. Of course, yes. Because I feel like this is just always in the background, even mm-hmm. if it's not coming out. And even when the student said that, someone next to this student shook their head like, yep, yep, as in I was thinking this too. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is like my least favorite thing. Yep. And... I tried to explain that, okay, the history of philosophy is this conversation where people offer theories and they provide evidence and then people are responding to them. So I said, science is like that too, right? Yep. Every discipline <laughs> is like that where you have this historical conversation of people trying to correct for previous ideas they thought was wrong. You just don't see that in your science classes because the way science is taught you don't get the history of the development of the ideas. Yes, and I think that that's specifically problematic for intro classes, right? Yes. Because you're doing that, and unless they would do the history of science or the history of math, they're never going to see this. Yeah, so I said it's happening. Like You just don't see how the the sausage is made, so to speak. Um, Because when you're taught science, you're taught, (laughs) as bad as this sounds, you're taught like a dominant institutional narrative of things that have been agreed upon as quote-unquote correct answers exactly right despite the fact that everything is constantly being proven wrong at each historical period Mm -hmm. i said it's the same in psychology i said it's the same in sociology um and he was like you know I, i i guess i never thought about that and then i went into this thing about how answers questions and answers right people expect an answer to be a certain thing Mm-hmm. We have questions, we want answers. We're not comfortable when there's not an answer. We're also not comfortable with any answer, right? We want the answers to be 
short, easy to understand in this very moment, uh, palatable relative to my pre-existing belief structure, mm-hmm. uh, and direct, right? Yeah. No meat attached to it. So we have this idea that answers should be these acontextual, um, totalizing factoids. Mm-hmm. And so what people want is like an answer machine, right? I press the button and you give me the correct answer. You mean like Googling something? <laughs> That's what I had in the back of my head too. And so it's very frustrating because it's like if you give an answer that's honest and you actually get into all the specifics, they think one of two things. One, well, that's a bad answer. Two, um, well, that's not actually an answer. And if you don't meet all my criteria of instantaneous, easy to remember, straight to the point, um, absolute, unquestionable, then there must be no truth. Then there is, it's just an opinion. Then it's just an opinion. So I... <laughs> did you strangle the student? Is that what's bad? I didn't, but I, but I did like leave the class feeling so affected. And usually I get, get to office hours and I get right to work, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't do that. I have to just like, I have to make design a lesson now responding to that thing, yes. right? And I feel like this is connected to what we're talking to because the whole point of philosophy has something to do with that. Agreed. Right? And... Yeah. And to be fair to students, it's not just their problem. Absolutely. There are administrators or colleagues that teach other disciplines that have exactly the same idea. Yeah, this is culture. Yeah, this is and they they think that like, well, you know, I've been told multiple times what you teach is just opinionated, right? It's just mm-hmm. all opinions. Mm-hmm. And and contrasted by Instead, I try to stay away from these things because I'm giving them scientific stuff. I'm explaining them that this is the, you know, I'm giving them factual stuff. Yeah. And, you know, at first I will be like you. Uh, I'm just, I just avoid. First, I would to engage, I try to not to engage in this kind of conversations anymore with them. But it is frustrating. Mm-hmm. And that leads to the importance of answering these questions and making clarity regarding what these things that we do is. Yes. Because also we don't help our case, we philosophers in general. Because then you, every philosopher always says, I don't do philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the cool thing to say. Yeah, it's like, I'm not a philosopher. But the truth is you, they are, right? Yeah. And and it's difficult. It's difficult to explain sometimes. Because as you said, there are a series of criteria and parameters that are being put in place that the answers that philosophy gives do not check. And and it's it's difficult. It is. Right? So in a way, this little pre-conversation is setting the stage mm-hmm. for for the things that are gonna happen. I just think this needs to happen. Um, because it's not it's not gonna be again, you press the button and then the thing happens. It's also not gonna be the case that we say different things so there's no none of them are true, right? Yep. And I explain this thing like Okay, if you say the earth is flat and I say it's round and someone else says it's heart-shaped and someone else says it's triangular, that doesn't mean the earth has no shape. It doesn't mean the earth has all of those shapes. It means some of us are correct and some of us are not correct. We just have to really dig deeply, pay attention, which is kind of a lost art, yeah. and really analyze yep. and 
there's this notion that like, oh, if the question's difficult, it must be unanswerable. Yes, yes. And that's not the case. Yeah, I, I went exactly through that yesterday. I was giving a talk. Uh, at right, oh, right, 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 yes. And um, and one of the questions, I, they, they went really well. There was a lot of people like asking questions, and I was happy about that. But one of the questions, and as you said, when this person asked that question, most of the other people were like nodding, like, yeah, that's the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, regardless of what I was asking, well, what I was talking about, the, the comeback was like, so from what I understand, uh, what you're telling me is like, I don't, we don't know what to do in this case. We don't know if we should do this or if we should do that. Therefore, maybe there's no answer there. Right. What do you think is, you know, is there, is there even an answer? And, the, you know, the, sub, uh, the subtext was there's no answer. Right. And I was like, okay. No, I'm not saying that there is no answer. And the reason was I wasn't giving them the answer that they wanted. I wasn't giving them the answer. You weren't the answer machine. Exactly. So, And I was like, no, I'm just saying that there is an answer. Maybe I just don't know it. Or maybe I'm not willing to give it to you, but mm. I'd rather want you to get to that answer yourself, to do this exercise, this very difficult exercise. Mm. But I'm definitely, right now, not giving you the answer. You're correct. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that the answer is not there. Yeah. And I think that there are some fields, some some um, some sub, we can say, uh, fields of philosophy that are more prone to get accused by of, of that, right? Like mm. ethics, is, it has become the place where yep. there's no truth. Yep. There cannot be any truth. But why though? And I again, in my ethics classes, I always say the fact that answers are difficult doesn't mean they're not there. Yeah. Maybe it means that, you know, biology is easier than ethics. That's what it means. Like, they're like, no, yeah, <laughs> impossible. Yeah. And there's this thing that goes along with it. Like, the reason you'll say that is because there's more than one thing that's logical. Yeah. Which implies that the typical way you think is the way there's one correct thing, and this correct thing is the only logical thing, and there can't be logical cases made for anything else. Exactly. And this, like, just completely explains the social environment in which we live. Exactly. Where people are like, if not me, then devil. I good, you evil. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was talking about yesterday. And... And I was telling them the alternative is not between logical, rational, and irrational. Yes, yes. The people that you're calling irrational and they think you think they don't they don't ground their stuff, they do the research too, they do those things. The problem is figuring out what this thing that we call truth is mm. and how do we do that. The work part, the part exactly. where I actually have to think. Exactly, exactly. Because we are not, again, as you said, we're not used to that anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is why, and, you know, we're going out on a tangent here, but this, but is, it's why, important. this is why people don't value uh, education. This is the people that we, people don't value at least this kind of education. And this is why, in my opinion, colleges and universities are losing prestige mm. and losing power as well. Because people are thinking that education is this, getting answers, getting information, storing information. And now they're saying, why do I have to pay all these dollars to have these answers given to me by some guy while I can get the same answers from 
Google. <laughs> right. You're ma- you're making me think. I don't want to pay to have exactly. to think. Just give me the results here, right? Give me give me what's in there. And like it's this is totally the dominant thing. And so philosophy is going to be positioned against this, but I even think of the fact that like there are these apps that exist yeah. that I see on TV now where you you write a paragraph and you send it and it sends you back the grammatically correct version of it. <laughs> yes. So like literally you don't have to have any yes. skills and there's something similar <laughs> where you type your math homework into a thing, not even you're using a calculator. You copy and paste the math problem and it gives you back the answer. And it's billed as this is helping educate people. Yep. And it's literally the opposite. So <laughs> it's funny. And you I get say crazy that. when I see this. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I just again gave back the essays to my students today. <laughs> and they took an in-class essay. Uh-huh. So they had to actually write on a piece of paper. Oh, what's that? And and when they gave it to me already, like 90% of them, they were like, oh, they're going to be misspells and they're going to be some errors because, you know, we have spell checks now. So those things are not I'm like, so mm. <laughs> there's spell checks. So you don't check things anymore. You mm-hmm. just write whatever because the computer is going to, the PC is going to, it's going to change those things for you. So yeah, I agree with you. They, they nobody wants to do the work to get to the result. They just mm-hmm. want the results. They just want the product. And I mean, that's not conversation for another time probably, but why are we in this position? Yes. Is it capitalism? Is it the smartphone? The smartphone? Is it, well, which is also by product of capitalism, for sure. Um, sure. But it is technology, though, in mm-hmm. general. It is, uh, we lose. We lost our moral fiber, and we are in this position. Is it, a, is it a life that's too easy? Are people born differently? I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Are, are, the, are the new generation different? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is, but definitely something has happened. And Because I, well, I refuse to believe that it was always like this. Agreed. It's impossible, because otherwise we wouldn't have had Spinoza, Leibniz, Plato, those people would not be in existence. Even though there's always been a tendency, because these people have always been the minority, they've always been, think mm. of Greece, right? They, these are the people that think outside the box, mm. that go against the grain usually. So maybe there's always been this tendency. Well, it's thinking outside the box, and this is how we're getting into the what is philosophy conversation through the back door, but it's doing it in a way that's very sincere and well-reasoned yeah. and analytic in terms of method and question. Um, and so everyone wants to be that person that thinks outside of the box, uh, but that doesn't mean yeah. everyone's doing philosophy, right? I always say yeah. everyone wants to be a philosopher, but nobody wants to be a philosopher. Yeah, yeah. and I think you're right, and, and we should clarify this. Thinking outside the box, in my mind doesn't mean saying cool stuff yeah, or giving these exotic answers. Or outlandish just exactly, for the sake of it. Exactly. It doesn't mean that. Mm-hmm. It means, like, as you said, giving giving thought to something mm-hmm. and reason, truly reason about stuff and, you know, presenting an argument that's coherent and all this, this mm-hmm. other stuff. It means work. And I contend that 
sometimes the work that you do is not necessarily pleasant when exactly. you're doing philosophy. It's uncomfortable, it's unsettling, and you know we'll we'll get into that maybe a little bit more. But I think that these are kind of preconditions. Hundred percent. It cannot be uh, reduced to one fleeting moment in internet space in a meme or something like that, right? You have to actually focus. So what is philosophy? It's not any of those things. Clearly, whatever those things are, it's, it's getting right. under the skin of people who do philosophy. So I just wanted to do that to kind of give you a, a general framing of the kind of stuff that maybe is related to it. Yep. Now, you ask me again, well, what is philosophy? <laughs> the first thing I'm going to say to be very vague is that it's there's two ways of saying this thing the one hand you could say it's a method mm -hmm. the other hand if you want to be more like interesting sounding about it or if you think that's too like reductionist you say it's a way of being mm -hmm. um, but i think method is a good starting point there are many methods yeah and they're different yes so the the goal is to figure out like what distinguishes the philosophical method from other methods which aren't philosophy. And I know that you like to use that that description, right? Um, I am not super inclined to use that, even though I agree that that's what it is. Yeah, I feel like uh, this I, has kind of come up before. Yeah, I, but I, I think that if we say that, we incur into the risk of having people believing that, because as you just said, there are different methods, right? People think that there's a mean towards an end. Right, and it's, it's systematic. A, it's a tool that you use mm. towards something else. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm under the impression instead that, at least this is the way I think, or philosophy is not just a tool, but it can be an end to itself. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's just a methodology that you apply to something, even though there is there are specific ways. Uh, there is a, how can we say, there is a, a script that you follow in order to do philosophy. It's a different kind of inquiry than biology, right? There's no doubt about that. And right. I know that this is what you mean right, right. at the end of the day. But I don't think that reducing philosophy to that mm -hmm. does it justice. And also, it, I don't think it directs it in the right direction. So, right, if you, if you say it's a method, you have to qualify it. It's a yeah. non-instrumental method that comes along also with a set of values, Yes, I think is what you're getting at. Yes. Um, and so maybe this way of being is a more accurate way of putting it. Yeah, even though it's more vague, and I know, I, I, I can imagine <laughs> why, I mean, I, I know why you're, you're not, you're not using that, you, you, you better, because yeah. method, again, I think we're conceding to the, to the scientific way of looking at the world, to what people are used to, so in order for people to grasp better what philosophy is, we say it's a method. Um, there's also tradition for that. Descartes thought that was a methodology, right? Yes, yes. Um, it's not that you, you know, I'm not thinking that you just decided to. to uh, there is a, a tradition in philosophy that says that. But again, I am, I and I think that when people say it's a way of being, people are like, oh, oh what is that? <laughs> right, it sounds so weird. What that was? What you? What do you mean? Yeah. Uh, but I think that. Truly, it's closer to that because, and we have said this in other episodes sometimes regarding other stuff. I think it is, if you are a philosopher, if you're doing philosophy, 
and are not a professor of philosophy because those two things are different. True. You can teach something. You can teach philosophy. You can teach history of philosophy, intro, ethics. You can teach all these things without being a philosopher. If you are a philosopher, you're not using just the methodology to get somewhere. You are, in a specific way, this thing really informs your being, mm-hmm. in a sense. And and I think that the method part, yeah. it's more applicable to somebody who teaches philosophy rather than being a philosopher. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's uh, those connotations, right? And I think even, like, so it seems like when I'm using the word, I'm using it more to encompass something other than what we typically think. And I'm, I'm thinking back to... Um, when we did that seminar, or the the what you call the symposium, yeah. where we talked about science specifically, yeah. um, and I kind of defined a method in this different way, and maybe the the bullet points of it are, are more what you're getting at. It's not only a way of doing something, but it's like a way of asking questions about certain things in a certain way and it's a way of pursuing answers to those questions that's distinct from other ways so yes um i think ultimately we i think we agree it's just a matter of finding the right wittgenstein right (laughs) the the right uh way to describe it exactly yeah exactly and i and i think you're right because i i agree with everything you said Mm -hmm. it is a specific filter that we use yes to interpret what surrounds us and to interpret a lot of things, <laughs> quite frankly. But it's also a disposition. It is a disposition, yes. Yes, it is. Um, which leads us to, again, even more in, in depth mm-hmm. into this thing. How, how does that work? What kind of disposition is that? Right. What is the, the philosophical disposition? Because I, I, I feel that we do this often and it usually works this time. I don't think we're going to get away with it. We... We sometimes move the question, right? We we say, okay, what is philosophy? Or oh, philosophy is a disposition. Uh-huh. And, okay, but what is this disposition? <laughs> what does that mean? What is the philosophical disposition? Yes. And how is it different from other dispositions? And th- I mean, this is the not to do this thing, but this is why the question is, what is yeah. philosophy? Like, yes. what is the isness? What is the essence or the being of this thing yeah. that makes it distinct from any other? being that it is not mm-hmm. and if we're starting like very very basic bare bones disposition i'm gonna go aristotle mm-hmm. and say it starts with two things um wonder yeah this like profound sense of awe mm-hmm. at things and similarly something that results in that a, a genuine curiosity about that stuff so there's this kind of ah the, you say spark right you talk yeah. you use that language so i think that's right and so you have this spark this thing that kind of captures you and as a result of being captured you you have this uh, like genuine standpoint of wanting to inquire something deeply like what is that thing why is that thing like it is um how is it Mm-hmm. Could it have been something else? Why or why not? I want to understand what can result from it. Yeah. So you have all these questions um, that starts from that that boom, right? That experience. Yes, and I will add to that that there are, there's another two things I want to say that we we can say about that. The first thing is 
we want to know all these things. The philosopher is asking all these questions, which are very different. Why? How? Mm-hmm. Could it be any different? Uh, and all these things. And the philosopher wants to know that, not because, not having in mind a specific endpoint to this inquiry. Mm. I think that, yes, we want to know the truth, maybe, right? But it's not about finding the specific answer because then I'm gonna, you know, then you stop. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do something with that, right? Mm-hmm. It is rather. It is rather the the. You want to know that because it, the question consumes you, kind of. It's not. It's not a mean to an end. The answer. The answer in itself. You're curious just because you want to know. Mm. It's not that you want to know so you can save money. Mm-hmm. It's not that you're gonna know so you you can help somebody else. No, it's just you mm. want to know. Although that is good and yeah. that your skills to do that will be improved. Absolutely. But that's like gravy. Uh, exactly. So, and this leads me to the second thing. The, methodolo- the methodology, this, 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 uh, this position also has a unique characteristic in my opinion. And you tell me, if, I don't think we have talked about this before. And this unique characteristic is the fact that it is an inclusive kind of disposition. And what I mean by that is that it is the disposition that allows for whoever is invested, whoever has that disposition, to see and understand and recognize as valid or invalid also all other dispositions. While that is impossible if you just have one of the other dispositions. Mm. Uh, an example, if you are doing chemistry, if you're a chemist, and, you know, might be this theoretical kind of chemist, whatever that means, right? Mm-hmm. And you have this disposition, you understand everything in terms of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Usually, you have the tendency to um, dismiss all other dispositions they are not the chemical ones. Meaning that after the after all, you reduce reality, let's say, right? To to make a concrete example, to its basic chemical components. Mm-hmm. And everything else is just, if not wrong, just superstructure. It's like it's just things that at the end of the day, that's what counts. Yeah. And that is what I understand, and that is what everybody should understand. This is truth. And everything, those are the, um, what can we say? We can call it the bricks for everything else. Mm-hmm. The philosopher doesn't think that way. The philosopher is able to understand the scientific disposition, the religious disposition, and he can have those work within himself together with the philosophical disposition. While those other people can't but i don't think that's that they're doing something evil on purpose i think that the disposition that they have the lens through which they're trying to interpret the world doesn't allow them to do that i think you're right i think i'd agree with all of that um and it's one thing if if the person of a like a higher level discipline by which i mean uh, higher on the building less foundational says here's my reduction of the world but i understand there's things out outside of it the worse 
is when you say there is nothing outside of yeah. it. This is all that there is. Um, and I think what you would say is like, even the most meta level of chemistry is still less meta than philosophy. Yeah. And I think, it, I don't know if you remember, but that's actually that same science thing mm -hmm. we did. I made this picture where I laid out all the philosophical branches, yes. right? And then like I, I made a flow chart of all the different positions and subpositions and sub subpositions. And it was by no means complete, but it was like yeah. big enough for what I was doing. And I had them all colored in. And then I said, so this is, this is philosophy. It includes all of these possible standpoints with regard to all of these different types of issues. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, now here's what happens when you do, for example, a hard science. Mm -hmm. And by the next slide, I, I blacked out everything besides the standpoints presupposed by the scientific disposition and method, right? And like 90% of the chart was gone. Yeah. And I said, which of course, that's only significant to like people who care about it. I was like, let's, let's do that again. And I go back and I show all the color and then I remove the color and you're just left with the black and white lines. And I think this is exactly what you're saying. Philosophy is the, the closest you can become, I'm going to say a word that I don't know if you're going to like it, to trying to be objective. Mm -hmm. Because it's not objective within a specific domain, which is what like any of the sciences might claim. And that's good. Like yeah. we need that. That's fine. But it's like, I'm going to try and be objective with respect to like domainness, all possible domains. Uh, and when I say possible, all possible domains, like accessible to consciousness itself. Yeah. And so you use the word inclusive, and I, and I think that makes sense. Um, now, I'm going to challenge your word and just say <laughs> I feel like that's literally true, but because of the connotations, I would, I would probably want to come up with something else because it's not inclusive in the sense that ev every way of pursuing answers and every answer is accepted, right? Because mm -hmm. it can't be like, well, I believe this, so you have to accept me, right? Or like, <laughs> I think this thing, which is clearly impossible, therefore you have to accept me. And I know that's not what you meant, so I'm just like kind of yeah. articulating this for people who are thinking, but I do think it's the most all-encompassing, the most meta, yeah. the most objective. Uh, maybe, but... <laughs> maybe, yeah, I know. Uh, but, uh, but I think that the inclusiveness, at least in my head, uh, regarded the dispositions, not so much the... Not the single opinions within each disposition, got it, but rather the disposition itself. Agreed. And uh, so I was thinking a, a couple of things there. Uh, first of all, I also think that I might be, and that's not news. I might be even more extreme on, <laughs> on one of those. Okay, things, I'm right? excited. Uh, I I mean, I literally mean that the philosopher is probably somebody who can talk. Uh, competently about more stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that this disposition allows you to decode and understand languages mm. that are blocked to others. Because it lies outside of all those specific systems. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and I think... That this happens because it lies outside, but it also happens because the, the these other dispositions 
are some are closer or at least are presented as closer mm-hmm. and people study the study them as they were much more similar to this answering machine or which you're talking about mm. people that study and again we're making generalizations here right because then somebody studies physics and theoretical physics and quantum physics will be like you're right right i'm right. not doing that you know you're not. and i know that you guys are not doing that but but i'm saying in general mm-hmm. there is uh, people that study sciences social sciences i would say like definitely sciences social sciences and and um, and some other disciplines mm-hmm. are used to think of things in terms of this is the correct answer mm-hmm. and this is what you do. This is how you get to the correct answer, period. Period. And that is it. And there is nothing else. Right. What they are forgetting is that this answer that now is instrumental to something within the sciences was once upon a time a theoretical question. Yes, yes. It was once upon a time a question that came about because of curiosity, because of philosophy. Philosophy being the question-making kind of, uh, how can we say, domain. And this gives philosophers, therefore, an easier access to the specific question or the specific answer of that domain today mm-hmm. because the premise was philosophical always oh i don't like bertrand russell for much but he said this thing like I, I don't remember the exact quote but he says this thing like well whenever we have a question and we still don't have an answer we call it philosophy once the philosopher finds the answer then that becomes science mm. right yeah and i don't think in those terms but I think that the entry that we have, the the reason why we're able to understand and to speak about more things more competently, it is because the origin of those things are philosophical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I there's the thing Russell said. This is definitely how people think. Yeah, this is definitely because the thing that one of the things that separates those disciplines from ours is that people are not going to like this but it's it's more closely like a go ahead don't compartmentalized worry. Yes, company yeah and i don't literally mean companies i mean like there's cubicles and each one does a specific thing and then you have like a goal yeah right and it's like where is it efficient does it follow these things yeah. and it's not that philosophers don't care about efficiency don't care about following procedures it's more that it's limited to one thing in one way for one reason at one time, right? It's like it doesn't – it excludes everything other than what it is, Yes. right? And I think this is what you're trying to get at. And it, it began in philosophy. It, and yeah. it's, it's really sad that I feel like the way people look at it – and this is related to the thing you say, how people are always like, oh, it's just an opinion. It's like, well, back in the day, we all shared the same bed. Yeah. And then some of us <laughs> yeah. wanted to get up and go do something yeah. um, and, and leave and find answers. And like that's where we left philosophy. And so philosophy kind of remains this uh, vague historical proto-science or yeah. something like that. And I, I don't know if I've mentioned this long time ago 
on one of the episodes, but I remember um, one of the guys at Montclair, who was my professor in a couple different classes, uh, I, I sent him an interview of Neil deGrasse Tyson, like yeah, I think we talked about this, like attacking philosophy yeah. and saying, "Oh, it's just people yeah. sitting around contemplating if you can clap with one hand." And he was mad, and I knew he'd be mad, which is why I sent it to him, <laughs> because he had his PhD in philosophy, but his BA was in physics. Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, he went on this message board, and what people were saying sounds exactly what, like what you said, where it's like, what people do is when there's good philosophy. They call that science. Yeah, that's exactly. not philosophy. <laughs> exactly. But when there's something that's not the greatest scientifically, you say, oh, that's philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and again, that's non-news, right? Yeah. Uh, Neil no, deGrasse Tyson, uh, Bill Maher does it uh, lately, yeah. has done it a couple uh, times. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? Why are you attacking me? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you attacking me? And But, but again, I think that uh, aside from us complaining, I think that yeah, it's not just like my feelings, it's wrong. Exactly. So yeah. I was about to say, I think that the issue is, so first of all, I, at the end of the day, we might not care. Meaning that at the end of the day, I know that I have, that I'm following a disposition that allows me to access more than the average person. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. More than the people that are not versed in this. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds very, very, you know. I don't know, that like I am thinking more of me than everybody else, right. but it's not what I'm saying. Uh, but I think the real issue with this is not my feelings or the fact that philosophy is not considered use, useful or whatever, because I couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. The problem is that these people are really missing something. And the fact that they're missing this has led us and it's brought us in the middle of the mess in which we are today mm-hmm. on any level mm-hmm. from, and I, you know, and I say this all the time from the vaccine uh, issues, right? Mm-hmm. And science communication, mm-hmm. because again, you can be on whatever side you are with vaccines, but nobody can deny that there is at least an issue with the scientific communication. A and, little bit. And this happens because and, you know, I wrote that the thing about science, the crisis yes. of science some yes. times ago, arguing exactly this. The fact that the real problem here is that we have sought, we have, we keep selling this, this disposition, which is science, as the thing that's going to give you the absolute truth, uh, undisputable. And over and over again, we find out that that's not the case, that there are exceptions, that things are not as certain as they, we think. That we go back and we say, sorry, we made a mistake. But if you sell sciences that's something completely radically different from philosophy that doesn't question anything, that just gives you answer, that's the mess you're in. And yeah, and, and when that happens, you wind up inadvertently creating like an arbitrary hierarchy yeah. um, between certain people and other people. And which leads to the social mess in which we're in. <laughs> which leads into that because you have this kind of priestly class, yeah. which are seen as everything that we say is automatically true. Even if in real time you watch them say different things yes. and you watch certain things be proven wrong, it's still like, no, but I am absolutely correct. And I think this is a disservice even to the institution that hosts 
these people, right? Absolutely. Because at this at some point, people get fed up. They're like, you're either you're lying to me or you're incompetent, mm-hmm. and neither of those things are good. And you're the guys teaching <laughs> us. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound right. But I think that this, the, all these things are paradoxically philosophical issues, meaning that they we are in these situations because we are lacking the philosophical dispositions mm-hmm. when it is when we talk about science and when we talk about politics and when we talk about all these things because with the philosophical disposition the encompassing one not to use the inclusive one Mm -hmm. i would say that we would have we would reduce our issues by a good 60 70 percent and just to clarify science and i know you can think that because sometimes we have we're taking shots at this science is not the enemy of philosophy no Science and philosophy worked together until the 1800s, which is, I know, some people sounds like a... That's so long ago. So long ago, but, you know, uh, in, in the history of culture, it's not that long ago. Philosophy was the thing that grounded science. Mm-hmm. That all scientists will be like, we're going to do science if we're not philosophically grounded. Newton is the one that starts being like, I don't want to deal with this. And then longer the longer it gets you we get you know in the the 20th centuries when this thing starts diverging seriously mm-hmm. and that's when i mean it's not by chance in my opinion that the the 20th century and the 21st century are the most problematic probably uh in a long time and mm-hmm. i think that this comes from this this divorce between between these things science is not the enemy they are supposed to work together mm-hmm. And what you hear us say most of the time is a reaction to the fact that the scientific community is the one kind of dissing us, right? Yes. And I I feel like the reason, like in order for us to get this worked up about it, it means we do think it's important. Yeah, we do. If we thought like this didn't matter, then why would we care? Yeah. It's because we see, we know the potential of like science itself. And so just so you guys don't think we're conflating things like the one issue we were talking about was with the scientific institutions and those problems are there, Yeah. but we're not saying it's only in the institutions. Like the discipline itself by definition is limited because it asks again, a certain kind of question about a certain kind of thing and pursues it in a certain kind of way. Yeah. And the minute you fill in those blanks, mm-hmm. you by necessity, or bracketing it from other things. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine, right? We just yeah. have to be aware that that's what's happening. And the divorce is so weird because I was at a conference years ago and I had a, it was a political philosopher, uh, David Schmitz, who, very intelligent, um, well-respected, like he's, he's good. Um, someone asked him in the Q&A, like, what's the difference between your philosophy and a science? And he goes... Well, that's such a compliment. <laughs> and I, th- I thought that was such a weird answer. Yeah. Because that, again, that does this thing where it's like, oh, we judge all things. And that's that's like the opposite because to me. Because that, that has become the standard, right? Yes. Unfortunately. that is, And and I, again, I, I feel like we're ranting on this thing. We're like, rrr. But, uh, we're but. Mad. Yeah, I know, I know. But uh, it's it's like, I I think that the issue is that we have established the standard. We have the standard there. And it's out of control now. Mm-hmm. Because now the standard does is not anymore that the people, that the scientists think that. 
and that they 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 are the ones making this decision because we are in a in a in a culture where we want to appease the demand of people rather than mm. rather than you know leading mm-hmm. we're just reacting to the likes that we get i think that now it's even aggravated by this because at this point because people think the science is the standard i'm going to try to present myself as scientific because otherwise I have no credit. And people, in turn, will keep on digging into this hole that they're in. But the problem is that this credibility is ending. And what's going to happen is people are going to be fed up, and all of a sudden, well, we've seen this already. They're going to start thinking the science is discredited, mm. and we're gonna, they're going to start thinking that this is all BS. And then our culture... In, in the in the you know with the with capitalized C is going to be in trouble. Mm. What do we do then when when people refuse all standards? Because what's going to happen is we're going to fall into this relativistic, uber relativistic place, and it's going to be violent. Yes, and people are going to call it philosophical. I'm going to be mad, <laughs> <laughs> right? No, and be, because that's the thing, right? Because paradoxically, this rigidity on that side, on the science side, is going to lead to its opposite, which is the absolute relativism. Yep, it's going to be a, like a total reaction. Yes, and we're going to be in trouble. You're absolutely right. And if we're trying to figure out, like, okay, what does philosophy do? Well, first of all, it it there are a couple it, of questions. It does this, what we're doing. It does this, right? <laughs> there are a couple of questions that come to mind, and I, I said these before, and I always put them on my syllabus, and I feel like they sound simple and dumb, but I really mean them. Question number one, uh, what exactly is this thing, mm-hmm. right? And you may say, oh, no, doesn't other disciplines? Yeah, they do, but philosophy acts at a much more, like, fundamental ontological level, right? That's metaphysics. What is not only what is this thing, uh, how did it get like that, right? So causes, what results from this thing, its effects? Could it have been otherwise or could it have not been otherwise? So these questions concerning possibility and necessity and probability. And well, what does this mean for us? And what should we do about it? So it's these really fundamental questions and you answer these questions and you start to build like a structure, right? I I always love that Descartes talks about knowledge systems in terms of structures, right? And the way it works is like you have these foundational beliefs about reality, whether you're conscious of them or not. And then upon those, you have these beliefs about knowledge, how to pursue understanding reality, what knowledge is and what it's not. And then on top of that, you start to build other things like, oh, well, how do we think of what the human is, what the person is, and how should we act? And ethics are built on top of that. And how should we make political systems to best reflect or not reflect the ethical system? So you're building this pyramid, and and each step is quite literally based on all of the steps before it. And if you alter one or more of those things, things fundamentally change. So I think a kind of... I don't know what you want to call it, like creative way at me trying to explain philosophy is trying to make people understand that everything is a structure and we're trying to figure out how the structure works and how to best build our structure. Um, 
agreed, agreed with uh, with a caveat there, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that uh, said this way, and I, again, I know it's pro- probably not what you mean, uh, at least not just you don't mean just that. The fear that I have when we talk about structure this way is that people imagine those structures not as questions as you have presented to mm. us, but rather as answers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that philosophy has traditionally done is not just giving answers, but I don't use a word that I probably should have used, is inventing new questions. Mm. It's the hermeneutic of stuff. We are literally thinking of questions that have never been asked before. And it's not that they've never been asked because they're not important or they don't have an answer. They've never been asked because nobody has ever wondered about something. Mm-hmm. And the structure that you are uh, that you are referring to are each level is made of question and answers, if you want, that have been created literally by someone and then they, again they interlocked until we create this pyramid this whatever well, actually I don't think it's a pyramid but you know this this building, Some building yeah the, the, uh, a building right but I think that's important to to stress the the hermeneutic hmm. um, how can we say uh, function hmm. the philosophy has as well because I I think that sometimes we forget and I'm culpable of this as well that this questions were in there and they would not be there if philosophy wouldn't have been there. Mm. Because, again, no specific discipline comes up with the question. That's right. I think that's right. I, I think that's, that's, that's very important. And in this case, one of the definition of philosophy could be the domain, the question-making mm. kind of. And I, I think at that, at that same conference, I was saying something like that. It is partially the question-make... Oh, what can we say? Domain. Mm-hmm. But again, I I recognize the risk there because by saying that, then you reinforce this idea of it's just opinions. No, that's not right. what I'm saying. Right. It is rather though all the que- I will contend that all the questions that you can think of that have to do with interpreting and understanding what surrounds you and what is inside you and what do you and even who you are and all those things. All these questions, which encompass, you know, uh, the Pythagoras theorem or the the laws of gravity, all those questions that led to these answers were literally invented by philosophers. Mm. And I know invent, invention is probably a word that you don't like. And it's a, I, I know what you mean, though. You don't yeah. mean made up out of thin air. Exactly. Brought into reality that didn't exist previously. You mean like honing in on things... Uh, in a certain way so as to produce a certain kind of curiosity and, and way of pursuing. Exactly. Right? Because without that, there's no... Again, as another thing that I always say, whenever we're looking for an answer, we're looking for an answer from a starting point, which is a question. That That's is, so Heidegger of you. That is posed, <laughs> that is posed in a specific way. Yep. right? It's positioned already yep. at all times and kind of presupposes the answer. It's like... It, and and this is something we can continue, but it's like question asking mm-hmm. is itself a skill. It is. Right? And it's something you could be good at mm-hmm. and not be great at and get better at. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And and this is kind of how it is similar to every other discipline. Yes. That you you get used to like you know what to look for. Right? If you're fixing cars, you can open my car and you, you could see exactly what's happening and like, how'd you do that so fast? Well, because I know what to look for. I heard that this was happening based on your description and I went for this thing and inquired and figured out an answer based yes. on that. Right? So when you're doing philosophy, one of the skills you hone, and I don't mean in an instrumental sense, I mean just in trying to define what yeah. it is, is asking good questions and knowing what the right questions are in response to something. And it's like that's the foundation for the pursuit mm-hmm. and certainly for any answers because those things are limited by, as you're saying, the question itself. Yeah. And so when, when we're talking about these knowledge structures it's not just, okay, let's build a thing. It's like, let's figure out what we want to build, yeah. um, how we want to build it, why we want to build it, and like recognize that even if we don't get to the tippy top, that doesn't mean what we're doing has no value yes. or invalidates itself worse even. It's just that we recognize we're doing a thing, and at each level, we say, what what could the structure be? What could it not be? And then you build something. Well, is this the right thing? Are there corrections I could make to this? What can go on top of this? So it's it's like a building process that's constantly, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Reflecting upon itself. It is in its very nature. I will describe it as Socratic, right? Ah, the guy. Yeah. So, but I guess we can talk about these things next episode. Yeah, like what specific questions, what specific ways um, we'll fill, we'll try to fill in some of the blanks. Yep. Well, try for sure. <laughs> Succeed. We don't know. All right. See you later. See you.